What's going on, Victory Church? How you doing this morning? Let me hear you. Man, so exciting to be here, so excited to be with you. We are, as Darla and Malcolm said, seven days away from Easter Sunday. Listen, I said this last week, Easter Sunday is not the only Sunday we acknowledge the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Am I right, church? But it is the the mindset behind Easter. And, And here's what we know about Easter is that it's when most people will step out of their comfort zone and visit the church. So where most people who you're inviting, most people, I think they say like 98% of the people you invite on Easter will actually come as opposed to another Sunday because it's Easter Sunday. It's kind of a tradition. And so as you heard Darlene Malcolm say, look, start talking to people, get them here. It's going to be an incredible day. I'm already excited about the sermon. It's going to be called The Pattern of Resurrection. And man, I'm just pumped about it already. Look, my name is Troy. It's my privilege. And I get to pastor this great church. And if you're visiting with us, we just want to say welcome. Thank you for hanging out with us today. Um, And as you kind of heard some of our announcements, I just want to touch on two quick things. Uh, Number one, April 8th, we'll be doing our very first water baptism here at Victory. And so, look, if you want to get water baptized or you want to get your kid baptized, however that process works, there is a registration right here at the bottom. You can see on our website, jump on there, register so we can get your information. We are going to be really, really excited about having the first baptism, water baptism of our church. And then also, we are putting together right now and we're getting ready to launch our prayer team. We'll be meeting, um, I don't want to give out schedules and times yet because we're still working on that, but it looks like we're going to be doing a Saturday morning prayer time and putting together a prayer team. So on those cards, I think you have a prayer request that you get in your worship guide every Sunday. So just as Sundays go on, if you've got something you'd like us to gather around and pray for for you, do me a favor and write that down and just get that, put it in the offering bucket or whatever and let us be praying for you during the week. Amen, church? Do me a favor, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, if you don't have your Bible, be, uh, feel free to go ahead and get your cell phones out and Google. Google Mark chapter 14, we're going to find what we're looking at today in uh, that chapter. We've been in a series, as you're turning there, called Patterns, where we've been looking into the Bible and kind of finding out the, the patterns that God laid out for us in advance in his word for different areas of our lives. And so we've looked at the patterns of our thoughts, and we've looked at the patterns of our anxiety, and we've looked at the patterns of faith. And even last week, we talked about the pattern that's in the Bible. Did y'all enjoy that last week? Did you enjoy being able to look at the patterns in the Bible? And so this morning, I want to talk to you about the pattern of sacrifice, the pattern of sacrifice. And so Mark chapter 14, we'll start reading at verse 3. What's going on here is this is, this is right, Mark just kind of puts us right in the middle of a story where Jesus has been invited to a dinner to kind of, in his honor, to kind of celebrate some of the miracles that Jesus has been doing, okay? So Jesus is reclining with the boys, watching the game, eating some hot wings, whatever Jesus would do. And then all of a sudden, we're going to plop right in the middle of that story. And it says, while he was in Bethany, while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leopard. It's interesting when you see reclining, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this throughout the summer as we learn how to study the Bible, but back then they didn't really have chairs. They kind of like sat more on the ground or or on any kind of pad, so he'd be reclining kind of back on that elbow. He's reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, and a woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Ladies, how many of y'all like perfume? Men, how many of you like to smell her perfume? Here we go. Look, y'all going to have to wake up this morning, all right? We all going to have to be ready. Look, I'm believing this is a shouting day, and so y'all going to have to be ready to shout with me. Cool? Y'all good? All right, let me, try, let me practice. Let me hear you go, yeah! Let me hear you go, yeah! 
Look, we messed up one of our speakers on purpose just so y'all have to sit on this side of the church. You see what I'm saying? We're like forcing you over here. You know when you're riding in the car and you turn down the back speaker because your kids are listening to it and you're forcing it? We're forcing y'all over here so you can be loud, right? I'm just kidding, y'all. All right, where's you getting, y'all? Getting you there. Woman with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Nard dogs for you office fans. There you go, pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? Why are you pouring out the Gucci? The Chanel? What's going on? That could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. Now, that's some expensive perfume. A year's wages. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. In these few verses, we find the pattern of sacrifice. When we tend to read this story, we kind of instantly side with the woman, right? We just kind of immediately get on her side. And not only do we get on her side, but we almost start to judge critically those that were in there with her, those that started to rebuke her. We kind of start to almost become critical towards them and, and, and kind of, you know, judge them. And it's easy for us because we see the whole story. We see that Jesus approved of her. We see that Jesus was for her and her sacrifice. And so it's easy for us to kind of side with this lady. But the more I read Scripture, I try to put myself in the Scripture. That's kind of my secret behind it is I try to go, all right, I'm there. I'm reclining. We're eating some hot wings. We're watching the Final Four, and in comes this woman. I try to put me in that scenario. And the more I do that, here's the more I think, that I don't really think I would have sided with her. I think I probably would have sided with the other people in the room. And here's why I think that. Because I believe that position dictates perspective. I believe position dictates perspective. Let me give you an example. The perspective you have of me right now is a little different because of your position. I'm on the stage, so I'm a little elevated. You're in the seat, so you're a little down. And so your perspective of me, you're getting a certain lighting angle, and you're getting a certain angle. You're not getting my good side, all right? You know, my good side's more kind of, I tell you what, I'm going to say it's over here, so you'll start sitting over here. So my good side's right here. Um, but it's a different position, so it's a different perspective. And I just believe that your position dictates your perspective. And so the reason why I think I would have sided with these other people is because when she comes into the room, she comes in almost as a party crasher. She wasn't invited. She wasn't hanging out with Jesus. She wasn't uh, enjoying this meal. She comes in. There's another version of this story we'll talk about in a minute where she, it says that she's at his feet, washing his feet. So now she's in a different position than everybody else in the room. See what I mean? They've been at the table fellowshipping with Jesus. She walks in unannounced unwelcomed. Their position is different, and therefore their perspective is different. People who don't share your position will never be able to understand your perspective. I'll give you an example. People will never understand why you serve faithfully in a church. People who are not in your position won't understand why you give faithfully in your finances. People who are not in your position won't understand why you're faithful to your spouse. 
People who are not in your position don't understand why you don't want your kid to watch this. You don't want your kid to say that. People who are not in your position cannot grasp your perspective. And whenever we talk about sacrifice, before I even go into the pattern of sacrifice, listen to me. When it comes to anything God ever calls you to do sacrificially, people who are not in your position will not share your perspective. So be careful looking for other people's approval of your sacrifice. So point number one, your sacrifice will not make sense. Your sacrifice will not make sense. Do you know how many great things started off as stupid ideas? Can you imagine what it must have been like when Steve Jobs was walking everybody through the iPad? These people are going to have this massive, we just got down to the smallest phone, now we're going to go up to the biggest tablet, you know? It was like a dumb idea, but now it's huge. I saw a picture one time of the guy who opened up Amazon, and he was in kind of like an office off to the wall, and he had written the word Amazon on a piece of notebook paper and taped it to the wall. (laughs) Do you know how stupid he had to feel? But he's like the richest man in America right now. Let me give you some better examples. How stupid do you think Someone thought the Snuggie was. Come on, just put a blanket on. They get you. And, then, and if that wasn't bad enough, how about the promotional commercial, right? Y'all ever seen them doing this? Raising the roof in the Snuggie? You just killed that product. That would be my thought pattern. But that ended up being huge. I was reading somewhere it made $220 million in revenue because somebody put a blanket as a long shirt The church started the Snuggie. You ever seen the choir robe? It was the Snuggie. Just wasn't soft enough. If the Snuggie ain't bad enough, help me to. How stupid was the Slinky? You know how to play with a Slinky? Throw it down the stairs. That's how you play with your little sister. You know what I mean? Like, you already, you got a free toy. What is it? Like, it was a spring, and it's not even, it's a limp spring. I mean, people are paying money for this stuff. And I thought, I don't know if y'all remember this. I had to look this one up. Anybody remember the pet rock? Can we talk for a second, church? Old boy went out and got a rock, put it on some hay, put it in a box, and sold it for $3.50. They said he had $3 profit on everything. The rock was free. All he had to do was go to a, like a, somewhere where some horses are and steal some hay. He made a box, and we bought it like crazy. Sometimes successful things start as stupid ideas, right? The number one indicator that God's calling you to make a sacrifice is it won't make sense. Think about it. He tells Noah, I want you to go build a boat, and then I want you to get all of these animals, okay, two of every animal, which is crazy in its own mind. And then I want you to get them all in this boat. How are lions and deer going to hang out in my boat? They don't hang out outside. How are they going to hang out in my boat? And he wants me to build this boat. And here's the catcher. I don't know if you know this. He said, I want you to build the boat because there's a rainstorm coming. Noah had never seen rain. How do you explain rain to someone who's never seen it? It's almost like the sky is leaking and water is just falling down and it's going to get. And how do you, it didn't make any sense, church. 
He told Moses, look, you're in between a massive body of water and a crowd of people who want to kill you, okay? God, what do I do? What kind of sacrifice do I make, God, to you so you can save me? Moses, you see that stick in your hand? Yes, sir, on the way here I found it and I picked it up because my ankle's hurting. Raise it. What? It just didn't make sense. I tell you what, church people, I want you to march around a wall, call Jericho seven times, and on the seventh time, grab a sledgehammer and hit it so that it falls. That's not what he said. On the seventh time, blow your horn. Beep, beep. How's that going to do anything? It doesn't make any sense. All throughout the Old Testament, God didn't make sense. In the New Testament, Jesus don't make sense. I got 15,000 people to feed. There's a little boy with a few fish and a loaf of bread. Go grab him, take that, offer it up to God. You're going to be able to feed all of them and walk away with leftovers. Doesn't make any sense, right? I'm going to spit in this dirt, put it on your eyes. You're going to wash up. You can see again. It doesn't make sense. Your sacrifice, whatever God calls you to sacrifice, understand one thing. It will not make sense. Our problem is we're always trying to make sense of the sacrifice God is calling us to make. Because here's what I understand. The more you want to operate in faith, the more your mind will want to make sense. When you want to operate in faith, when you want to invite somebody to church on Easter, your mind will try to make sense of it. Well, they don't ever come. I've invited them ten times. When God calls you to give financially, you'll try to start making sense of it. Well, I really need to pay that bill. I've been dealing with that bill for years. When God tells you to serve, well, I really could spend the time at home cleaning up my house. You know, you'll try to make sense of what God calls you to sacrifice. That's what happened in that room. This woman walked in with her sacrifice, and the people in the room tried to make sense of it. There was nothing against them. They started trying to figure out, wait a minute now, that's a lot of perfume. I said, we could make a lot of women smell good with that. We could, we could sell that, make a lot of money, and give it all to the poor. They were trying to make sense of her sacrifice. But the only person that will ever be able to make sense of your sacrifice is Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one at his position. And his position has a different perspective. And watch this. Here's Jesus' perspective. Every sacrifice you make that others call waste, Jesus calls worship. Every time you are called to sacrifice something, somebody will point to it and call it a waste. And God sees it as worship. So your sacrifice, right off the bat, first pattern, understand that it will not make sense. Okay, church? Number two, your sacrifice is borrowed. Your sacrifice is borrowed. Now, I'm going to have to unpack this for a little bit. I'm going to have to explain this a little bit. We can go deep on this one. Okay, so when I read that story in Mark, I I recognized a verse that seemed a little out of place. It didn't didn't really seem like it matched with the rest of the story. As I was reading it, it kind of stood out to me, all right? I want to show you. So we went through It's verse 8. And so remember we went through, we talked about the woman walks in, she breaks the jar, all this kind of stuff. Verse 8 says, she poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. This is why I couldn't be a disciple. I'd have been like, uh, Jesus, I got a question. Go back, a couple sentences. You said something about your burial. You going to die? You're my savior. You, what's happening? What are you talking about? Like, I, you know, everybody else just sitting around like it's no big deal. You know, eat stuff in their face and all that. I'm like, you were talking about this woman and her sacrifice and how much it cost and how good it smelled. And out of nowhere, you just kind of slid in this thought. 
that she's preparing you for death? That would have caught me off guard. But Jesus wasn't speaking out of context. Because in Jewish tradition, when they were preparing a body for burial, they had a, they had a ritual they would go through. It would start by closing the eyes of the body. They would kiss the body, which was a little awkward, but whatever. Then they would wash the body. And then lastly, they would anoint the body with perfume. And majority of the time, they would anoint the body with the same perfume that this lady used to anoint Jesus' body. So I realized something. Jesus is showing us the pattern of sacrifice through his own sacrifice. Because his tomb is borrowed, our sacrifice is borrowed. This woman didn't even know it. But Jesus was going to take her sacrifice to a cross into a borrowed tomb, and then he was going to resurrect her sacrifice. Her sacrifice was going to come full circle. Let me explain this a little bit better. When a farmer goes to plant a seed, right, do you see the farmer gather mom and Paul and all the chickens and the cows and little baby brother and gather around and have a funeral for the seed? Like, oh, Lord, we're so sorry. You know, oh, we're going to miss the funeral. Do you see them have a funeral for seed? No. Why? Because they're going to see the seed again, right? When God takes our sacrifice, it's not final. It's borrowed because we will see our sacrifice again because our sacrifice goes full circle. We, we, allow, we, we, we give it to God. God takes it. He plants it, and it's resurrected in another situation. Our biggest problem is we like to have funerals for our sacrifice, Oh, I can't believe God going to make me give that. Come on, come here, homie. Can you believe God made me do that? Can you believe God's making me give this up? We like to have funerals for our sacrifice. But God's saying our pattern's off because if we understand the pattern of sacrifice, we understand that we're not saying goodbye to our sacrifice. We're just saying, I'll see you again. See my fast and furious, when, when I see you again. You wonder why they don't let me sing on a worship team, right? I know. I know, I'm trying. Let me, let me give you an example. I was about 17 years old. I went to the church. Uh, I'd been going to church probably a couple months, but it took me years <laughs> before I gave my life to the Lord. I was kind of a church spectator. I would just sit in the back and, you know, eat the communion crackers or whatever. And the guy started talking, the guy who was preaching, started talking about giving and tithing and offering and all, and all these different things. And I had been in services like that. And I was 17 years old with a part-time job. He never tempted me to give money. You know what I mean? I was like, you're going to have to let me meet Christ first before I start. I mean, it was an interesting situation. And then all of a sudden, one day, I didn't know it then because I wasn't like, I didn't understand how God operated. But I could tell you now that the, what the term would be the spirit was moving on me. There was something moving in my heart that wanted me to give money to this church. And I was kind of freaking out because I'm like, I don't know what's happening. I thought about the money in my pocket. I had two $20 bills. Two $20 bills, okay? And so I start processing because I want to make sense of my sacrifice. So I'm like, all right, I could give $10 because I really wanted to go buy some clothes after church was over, and I needed to go buy a Mexican restaurant and get some white cheese dip. And so I'm trying to process, like, all right, cheese dip, five bucks, a couple of shirts, 20 bucks. If I give God $10, I still got 30 to spend. So I started trying to make sense of it, but then I realized I only got two 20s. Brother can't make change in the offering plate, right? That's going to look wrong, but hey, man, send that bucket back by one more. I need two fives, two fives. 
Got you, got you. Can't do stuff like that, right? So now I'm like, what am I going to do? And so I'm standing there and I'm processing it through and I'm, I'm trying to talk myself out of it going, man, God don't need your money. God's got rich folks over here and over there and adults over here. You are 17 years old. God don't want your sacrifice. I'm doing all I can to make sense of me not giving this money. And I could not shake him. And I'm sitting through the whole service angry at God. You know what I mean? Because you know God called you to do it. You're like, every time the pastor speaks, you're like, man, quit. Shut up, quit talking to me. Happens every time. So finally the end of the service came, and sure enough, here came, at the time, the church I was at, it was like these little velvet basket things. And uh, they started coming through like we was in the 60s. And I, so I grabbed my wallet out, and I took both 20s out, and I put them in the basket. I, I think I literally did it like that, like Shaq, dunking it. Moved it on. Now, let me explain something to you, because I set that whole service mad. People will try to tell you when you finally sacrifice to God, you walk away all holy going, oh, it's incredible. I was mad. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but you have to understand what was going on in my life to tell you the rest of the story. As you can tell from some of this story, I was a bit of a clothes person. I like to buy clothes. had a part-time job, no bills, anything like that. And so I had just recently, about a month before, gone to Burlington Coat Factory in Memphis, Tennessee. All right? Y'all know nothing about the Coat Factory. Went in and bought me all these clothes. Because I'm irresponsible, I didn't try any of it on. Came home, none of it fit, and I did just what every man does. I go, I'm going to return it. Well, a month and a half later, I still hadn't returned it. And so when I went up there to try to return it, they said, Mr. Powell, you need the receipt. I said, well, I ain't got the receipt. And so I went out. I, I searched all through my car. I went home and searched through my bedroom, searched everywhere, couldn't find the receipt. So I said, you know what? There that goes. And so we did a closed closet at the church I was attending in Memphis. So I was like, I'll give it to them. And then I had worked a couple weeks and got that 40 bucks, and I was about to go buy me some more clothes. Now you see all of the spiritual tension happening in my mind because I'm thinking, new clothes? Jesus. New clothes? It wasn't really what was going on in my mind, but you know what I'm saying. And so there was a lot of tension going on. So I ended up giving that money. I gave that sacrifice. Service was over. People are trying to have fellowship after church, and I'm all angry at them. You know, they don't even understand why. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, okay, I'm only 40 bucks away. I'm just trying to, find, I'm trying to find people who will buy my cheese dip, right, so I can figure something out. I'm headed out to my car. I got my Bible in my hand. Go out, I open the back seat to my car, I throw my Bible in the back seat. When I do it, something caught my eye. So I open the door, pick up my Bible, and there's a receipt under my Bible. My, my car is spotless clean. I said, that's weird. It's the Burlington Coat Factory receipt. I just searched that car all the way through. Do you know how much the receipt was for? $82. I said, my goodness. Hallelujah, I tried to go back in and get that 80, hoping I'd get 160, you know what I'm saying? I was trying to do math here. But it just goes to show you, your sacrifice is borrowed. You give your sacrifice, and God will always bring it full circle. I believe God pays back in interest. Sometimes it happens immediately. All, look, just because y'all give today, don't think and go out to your car and there's going to be money sitting under your windshield. You know what I mean? I can't guarantee you that. I was super immature in the Lord, and the Lord had to teach me some lessons. Sometimes I get my payback six years later. You know what I'm saying? But God will always bring back. When you let him borrow, it will always come back full circle. But here's the best part. Sometimes when it's resurrected, it's not even for you. Sometimes your sacrifice blesses somebody else. God borrows from you and gives to somebody else. And if that bothers you, hear me this. The last time you got something, it's because he borrowed from somebody else. 
Let me show you an example through a picture real quick. I didn't, I didn't tell anybody I was going to do this, but I want to give you an example. A couple years, or about a year ago, when we knew we were going to plant this church, a bunch of people, we moved, you know, we started moving down here and stuff. But before we moved, we came down here trying to decide if Smyrna was going to be the place. And so we had these prayer meetings, and we'd spend hours in prayer and different things. And Erica, do you have the picture in the hotel or in the apartment? This, this is going to be really fun, okay? Sorry, Tim. Uh, those are my legs. <laughs> So this is a one-bedroom apartment, okay, because Jamal worked for an apartment complex and got us a one-bedroom apartment for free. That is the living room. Only other thing there is is a bedroom, which is housing about seven girls at the moment that this is going on, and a small little kitchen. And these folks slept overnight. What you don't see right here is we had just been praying for about two hours for Victory Church, for God to do something like this right here for what God's about to do in seven days through Easter. What he's going to do in our new series, Greater Things. We had been praying and gathering. These grown men are sleeping in a one-bedroom apartment. Here's the best part. <laughs> Why is Chase's knees so ashy? <laughs> Sorry, Sam. Here's the best part. And, and, Joe, I'm so glad you're in here. You can't see it. Joe slept in the floor of the kitchen. He's in the kitchen floor, y'all, under a sleeping bag. He, he doesn't have anything. He's just sleeping on the kitchen floor. These people were sacrificing. They were letting God borrow their sacrifice so that God could resurrect it. And watch this. You are now setting in someone's sacrifice. See what I'm saying? You are setting in someone's sacrifice. I want to do this real quick because I know it's on Facebook Live because I'm hoping every kid's worker watches this. Because of your sacrifice right now, people are setting under the word of God, okay? That's what's happening because every time you sacrifice, God borrows it from you and resurrects it in somebody else's life. There's a reason why 10 people have rededicated their life over the past nine weeks. There's a reason why five have been saved, why we will baptize people next week, because somebody is sitting in somebody else's sacrifice. You give, you let God borrow, and God resurrects and blesses. A year from now, someone's going to be sitting in your sacrifice. Two years from now, people will be saved because of your sacrifice. People will be baptized because of your sacrifice. Families will be brought back together. Marriages healed. People, re all of this because of your sacrifice. Because your sacrifice is not final. It's borrowed. When you have it, it doesn't make sense. But you give it to God because you're being obedient. And God takes it. And he buries it. And then it's resurrected in someone else's life. Here's what I know about sacrifice. God calls us to sacrifice, and we do. And God shows up, and we expect more. And then God calls us to sacrifice more, and so we do. And God shows up more, and we expect more. And so we sacrifice more, and God shows up more, and we expect more, and then we sacrifice more, and God shows up more, and then we expect more. Is there anybody in here who could tell me, 
I have operated in that pattern. I have seen God be faithful when I sacrifice. And because he was faithful, all it did was make me want to sacrifice more. And so I sacrificed more, and he showed up more, and I expected more, and I sacrificed more, and he showed up more, and I expected more. This is the process all throughout the Bible. Do you know? Listen, the disciples left him on the cross. They died for him after the resurrection. Because every time God does something more, you're challenged now to expect more. And now you're more faithful to continue to sacrifice. If you start sacrificing for God now, you'll never believe what you'll be sacrificing in 10 years. Because you will find that God is faithful in everything that you do. I've always heard this kind of from the country preacher, right? You can't outgive God. It's so true. But instead of out trying to outgive God, we try to make sense of what God's telling us to give. And God says, I don't operate in sense. And so if you'll believe me and step out and sacrifice, you'll see me come through, and then you get to experience greater things. But listen, God can't resurrect what you won't bury. And he can't bless what you won't let him borrow. So as God's calling us as a church to sacrifice, as people to sacrifice, understand, number one, it won't make sense. But then understand in your mind that it's borrowed. And be looking for it to resurrect. Be looking, not in your own pocket. Don't go out to your car looking for the receipt, although God does that. Be looking for the lives that are changed because of your sacrifice. Number three, your sacrifice is relative to your story. Your sacrifice is relative to your story. The more I read Mark chapter 14, it, the very first time I read it, some of the early times I read it in my life, I couldn't help but ask this question, who is this lady? Because here was my thought. Is it possible that the severity of her story has an influence on the severity of her sacrifice? Is it possible that her story impacts her sacrifice? And so I wanted to know who she was. Because here's the truth. When I know your story, I understand your sacrifice, right? When I'm in your same position, I see from your perspective. And so I wanted to know her story. But it doesn't tell us anything. It just says this woman. And then all of a sudden I remembered, oh, man, the Gospels are synoptic. And so I wanted to go through and try to find out if there's other stories that tell the story. And I found it in John chapter 12. Same story. A few more details. It says six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. Remember in Mark it said he was in Bethany. Same place where Lazarus died whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Do y'all know that story? Jesus' good friend dies. His name's Lazarus. His sisters, Mary and Martha, call Jesus and say, hey, we need you to come help. Our brother's getting sick. Jesus waits a couple days. Jesus, or Lazarus gets sick and dies. Jesus comes and resurrects him out of his grave. He says, come forth, Lazarus. Lazarus comes out of his grave looking like Michael Jackson in Thriller, you know, just, and, he, you know, he just resurrected. So, same guy. Same place he lives, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. 
Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Same dinner we were just talking about. Martha served it. Oh, it's Martha. Okay. While Lazarus, watch this, was among those reclining at the table. Mark didn't tell us that. Lazarus was one of those chilling at the dinner. He's eating the honey gold hot wings. Y'all know nothing about that. That's Memphis stuff. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary... Mary took a pound of very expensive perfume of pure nard and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It's Mary. There's something about Mary, right? It's Mary. That's who it is. We didn't know who it was, but, but it's Mary. That's who it is. And then I remember this. There was a moment in Scripture when Jesus came over to Lazarus' house for dinner and Lazarus was eating with him, and it said Martha was doing the dishes. She was setting up, and it said Mary was at his feet. Mary knows her position. This ain't even in my notes, but listen to me. You get in the right position, you'll get the right perspective. The best position you can ever be in is to be at the feet of Jesus. Because then your perspective's different. I'll preach a whole other sermon real quick. Y'all, we'll go, we'll go another round. But I thought this was interesting. Because the same thing has happened before. Lazarus was there. Martha was serving. And Mary was at the feet. But how come this time she had to bring Nard? How come this time just sitting at his feet wasn't enough? How come this time she had to bring expensive perfume? And then I remembered the first line in John. It says, Lazarus, the one he had resurrected from the dead. See, when Mary was at his feet the first time, Lazarus hadn't been resurrected. Lazarus hadn't even gotten sick. The next time Mary's coming to his feet, she's gone through some stuff. You know what I mean? She went through a story. Her story was her brother got sick, then her brother died, then her brother was resurrected. So now the Mary of just sitting at Jesus' feet, there's something that's happened in the story. And now because something happened in the story, she doesn't feel like just sitting at his feet is enough. She's got to bring a sacrifice. She's got to go find expensive perfume showing me that my story affects my sacrifice. That there's a reason why you can't understand the way I sacrifice because you don't understand my story. And once you understand my story, you can understand my sacrifice. You'll start to understand why I worship the way I worship. You'll start to understand why I serve the way I serve. Why I believe the way I believe. Why I pray the way I pray. Why I read the way I read. Because my sacrifice is relative to my story. What God's done in my life, church, impacts my sacrifice. I wonder if anybody would say, if you understood my story, you'd understand my sacrifice. If you want to know why I'm so faithful to serve, and you want to know why I'm so faithful to give, and you want to know why I'm so faithful to pray, and you want to know why I'm so faithful to read, and you want to know why I'm so faithful to proclaim, then you got to hear my story. You'd have to know about what he did in my family. You'd have to know about what he did in my marriage. You'd have to know what he did in my kids. You'd have to know that at midnight he came at 11.59. You'd have to understand my story, and then all of a sudden you can understand my sacrifice. 
So Mary shows us that when God calls us to sacrifice, it's not going to make sense. And then she shows us that it's borrowed. Then she shows us that it's relative to what we've been through. I bet you worship through your story. I bet when you guys play instruments and and you sing, I would bet it's impacted by your story. (laughs) Production team, I would bet that when you sit down and start messing with buttons or when speakers go out and you're running frantically to do it, I bet that's impacted by your story. Because you don't get paid to do it. So the only reason why you would be so passionate about what you're doing is because it's being filtered through what God's done in your life. So therefore, my sacrifice must be relative to my story. What's your story? And if you don't have a story to influence your sacrifice, then it's because you've never sacrificed before. And once you sacrifice, it starts a process that will produce a story. Listen, success in this season only means a harder struggle than the next. As Christians, we think success in this season means that we don't have trouble anymore. God sees it as you graduating. So when you succeed in this season, he's got to take you to another season. And it's got to be hard. And it's got to be tough. And it's got to have a struggle because you have to have a sacrifice. But it's not impossible, and it can't kill you. It's just a moment to see if you'll sacrifice. I started thinking about, here, you you look at that real quick. I started thinking about this moment, guys. We're almost done, but I got to take you here because I went here, and I spent the next, like, two hours on my face. Let's just say that the walk from the front door to Jesus was from me to Jeff with a J, Mohawk Jeff. They're both Jeffs in case you're wondering. We prayed for a double portion. We got two Jeffs. Biblical humor, it's not funny. Okay. Let's just say it was from from me to Jeff is the walk. Because when you read scripture at first, you think Mary was so secure in who she was, she never doubted what she was doing. I don't believe that one second. I believe that in her hands, Mary was holding a very expensive jar of perfume. And so with every step she took, she second-guessed what she was doing. I wasn't invited in here. Everybody's looking at me weird, kind of like right now. I could, and you better look, Mary's human. Mary probably said, man, I could, I could sell this and probably give all the money to the poor. Or if she was Troy, sell this and get a whole bunch of clothes. I imagine this walk had to be really difficult. But here's what the Lord showed me. At any moment where she began to doubt her sacrifice, there was a reason he invited Lazarus to the table. Because at any moment that she started to doubt her sacrifice, he wanted Mary to be able to look over and see the miracle, see what he had already done to remind her 
of the why behind her sacrifice. When we got ready to plant this church, everybody and their mama asked me the same question. They wanted to know my why. They said, oh, people aren't going to buy your vision until they know your why. You need to know your why, your why, your why. Finally, I had to tell somebody, look, I don't know my why. I've never been to Smyrna. I don't know my why. Here's all I know is that God did something incredible in my life, and I believe he wants to do it in every other person's life as well. And when you believe something like that, that becomes your why. And every time Mary struggled, whether or not to give her sacrifice, all she had to do was look over and see Lazarus and start remembering the goodness of God and the grace of God and the miracles of God and the faithfulness of God and God's provision and God's protection and God's purpose. And she said, you know what? I'm back. It's worth it. I'm ready to break it because no matter how valuable this is, I'm remembering my story. I remember what he did and how he came through and how he provided and who he is and the fact that he'll always do it again. And so I sacrifice over and over and over because he's faithful. Maybe this morning you would say, I don't really have that thing. Because I could make people stand up right now and profess testimonies of faithfulness that God's done in their life. But then it may get to you and you go, I don't have that thing. There's no resurrected Lazarus in my life. So when I'm called to sacrifice, I don't have that thing to look to. I would tell you that we all have something to look to. And it's the salvation in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if he doesn't heal another person. It doesn't matter if he doesn't provide you another dollar. It doesn't matter if your resume doesn't get seen, if you don't get the job, if your kid's not healed. None of that matters. He did enough on the cross. He did enough in removing our sins and giving us an opportunity to spend eternity in heaven with him. So even if you don't have a story, you've got a why. And when you start to struggle with whether or not you should sacrifice and do what God's called you that doesn't make any sense, look to the why. Remember what he did. Remember how he provided through his crucifixion. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about how he gave us life through his resurrection. But this Sunday, it's all about the sacrifice. Would you stand with me for a second, church? I know you're probably going to have to sit right back down in a minute, but I just I want to share this with you while you're on your feet. I think sometimes people listen better when they're on their feet. That doesn't give you the opportunity to doze off. <laughs> if you can sleep in here, you can sleep. That's why I scream. I say, look, make my microphone really loud. I want to pierce people's ears so they can't sleep. I just, I really, really believe in God. I really, really believe in what he's doing and his purpose in our lives. And I wanted to tell you this. One of the reasons why God brought Victory Church here was to pull each and every one of us into God's purpose for our life. It was to challenge us 
to encourage us and to move us to where God wants us. And he does that through sacrifice. And so the reason why I wanted to preach this was for two different people. Number one, it's for those of you that you've never sacrificed before. You've never served at a church and sacrificed your time. You've never given tithes and offerings and sacrificed your finances. You've never gone to marriage conferences and marriage and small groups and and sacrificed your intimacy. You've never sacrificed through anything that God's ever provided for you. And God's calling you through Victory Church to start sacrificing. And then there's another group of you that you do sacrifice. It's what you do. It's what you were raised or you've got a story and it's your why. I think God's calling us to a new season of sacrifice. I don't know what that looks like yet, but I will tell you with every new season of sacrifice comes a new season of miracles. I was able to talk to the Dream Team for just a moment this morning and where I believe God's taking our church after Easter. I think he wants to do greater things. And I think he wants to do it in the church and I hope he does. It's great. But more than that, I think he wants to do it in you as an individual in your family, in your kids, in your job, in your finances, in you as a person, in every area. But listen to me, we cannot experience greater things if we're not willing to sacrifice the things God's calling us to sacrifice. I wasn't even gonna tell you this, but I believe it's lining up. The first sermon in that series is this, you can't grasp great till you let go of good. A lot of us are hanging on to good And God's calling us to sacrifice it, to let him borrow it, to plant it, to bury it so that he can resurrect greatness. So if sacrifice scares you, listen, it ain't ever going to make sense. Quit trying to make sense of it. Understand it's not final. It's borrowed. Understand that you right now get to hear this word because of somebody else's sacrifice. And there will be people saved, baptized, resurrected, and restored because of your sacrifice. And then allow your story to influence the sacrifice God's called you to give. Amen, church? Lord, we thank you for who you are. Your faithfulness, I thank you for opening my eyes to what was driving Mary's sacrifice. Because God, it's what drives mine. The story of who you are and what you've done in my life, what you're still doing. And I pray that everybody that was here today would hear that. That they would know that, God, you're calling them to a greater sacrifice because it's in that sacrifice that they'll be drawn to intimacy with you. And everything you do in our lives, God, is to draw us closer to you. So thank you. Thank you for our church. Thank you for what you're going to do next Sunday in people's lives. I pray right now for everybody who's coming that the de-church would walk in and recommit their lives to you, that the unchurch would walk in and commit their lives to you, that everybody in this room would understand the purpose you've called them to and the fact that you're going to use this church to bring the greater out of every one of us. 
And our answer right now has to be that we are willing to sacrifice for you. We will sacrifice our time. We will sacrifice our intimacy. We will sacrifice our gifts. We will sacrifice our finances. We will sacrifice everything that we have to glorify your kingdom, God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said,